My name is Greg Crow. I'm one of the elders here at the church, and uh, my wife, Joda, and I um, serve and worship here, and uh, our two kids, Logan and Catherine, who are not here this morning, are part of the church. And so it's uh, my privilege to be uh, teaching. So Jerry is um, out of town with extended family. Uh, Noah had a uh, cross-country meet, and so he reached out and said, hey, can can you uh, step in and teach? And so if uh, you've been here for the past few weeks, you know that we're teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, what's important to know is that first, uh, the, the church in Corinth was a bit of a messy church. And so Paul speaks to them and calls them uh, to task because there was a lot of divisiveness and confusion and disunity in the church at Corinth. We can't relate to that, but it's important for us to study God's Word anyway. All right. So uh, the church is messy. There was disunity. They had asked a number of questions uh, to Paul in the letter that they had sent. Uh, Paul had established his church in the second missionary journey and had spent 18 months with these folks, and so he knew them well. And uh, he was very frustrated that the, the spiritual immaturity that they were demonstrating and so they asked a number of questions, and he's responding to those questions. So we just recently talked about marriage and singleness and how to be faithful in marriage and how to be faithful in your singleness. And this week we're going to talk about whether it is okay to eat food that is sacrificed to idols. Food that's sacrificed to idols. So that's the question for us tonight, uh, which is appropriate because it's Thanksgiving week. Uh, tonight we're going to have all kinds of... Uh, food in front of us, and um, you may be asking, you know, Greg, interesting but not relevant. This passage doesn't really speak to me personally. I've never seen food that's been sacrificed to idols. Why is this important? Um, just to give you a little bit of context um, for what the believers were facing in Corinth. So um, the culture in Corinth was polytheistic, so there were lots of uh, gods. They worshiped many, many gods. Um, many people had a favorite god. And one of the beliefs that they had in the uh, Corinthian culture was that there were evil spirits everywhere, evil spirits everywhere. And so uh, they had a belief that if uh, I would eat food, the evil spirits would uh, come into my body by eating uh, food that was contaminated. And so what they would do is they would pick their, their favorite god, and they would go to a pagan priest, and they would say, here's the meat that I'm offering. Uh, let's burn this, uh, this meat on the altar. That's going to cause these evil spirits to leave. And then my favorite God is going to inhabit this meat. And so that was the belief in the pagan culture. And so they would do this. And what's important to know is that after the meat was sacrificed, whatever was left over that the priest didn't want, it would be sold in the uh, marketplace. And so if you went to a wedding and there was meat presented before you, that was meat that had previously been offered as a sacrifice to a pagan god. If you went to a wealthy person's house, same situation. So the, the reason why this is a question is, looks like we're going to switch. The reason why this is a question is uh, we have...
All right. Thank you. So, um, again, what's important here is that you have people that are new believers in the faith. Uh, they've been saved out of paganism. They're Christians. Um, but they're in an environment where every day they're encountering meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And so you can imagine that this was a question of conscience for some people, right? For some people, they may say, this is perfectly okay. I understand that this is not real. But for other people, this was a struggle and a challenge. Does that make sense? So that was really the context behind why uh, they asked the question. And so um, it's important to know that uh, the Bible is prescriptive in some areas, and it gives us freedom in others. So a very prescriptive in a few areas, what we call the essentials. Uh, the song we were just listening to talked about Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If we as a, a community, if we don't center on that truth and we don't believe that truth, we're not really a Christian community. So that's something that we hold with a closed hand, right? That's not up for debate. If you're a believer, that's part of what you have to believe. But then there are a lot of things that the Bible is uh, not clear about. So is it okay to go gambling? Is it okay to go drinking? Is it okay to um, wear anything that you want? Is, is, does it matter which candidate I vote for? Now I'm making some people uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> Is it, okay to, uh, is it okay to work on Sunday? Uh, what movies should we watch? What music should we listen to? So the reality is that there are certain things the Bible is very prescriptive about and things that the Bible is silent about. And so I'm going to call the first category black and white. I'm going to call the second category gray areas. Does that make sense? Okay. So the question is, how do we as Christian leaders think about these gray areas? How can we exercise our freedoms that we've been given but do it in a way that is faithful to God's glory, to what is good for others, and ultimately what is good for us. So that's ultimately what we are going to be talking about today. So I think you guys know we live in a culture that's very individualistic, right? A hundred years ago, the family was all together, multiple generations. Uh, it was very messy. People disagreed. But people had to figure out how to get along, right? Nowadays, we're much more... Uh, individualistic in our thinking. And so we tend to really focus on what my personal rights are, what's most important to me. And we're not too concerned about how that impacts other people. So that's the little bit of the toxic culture that we live in. It's important that we don't do that as a church. And so that's why this is important. So we do have individual rights, but we also have responsibilities to others. So what we're going to do is talk about, we're going we're gonna to cut the... Uh, sanctuary into two parts for the sake of argument, okay? So we're going to have the uh, group here on the right, and I'm trying to decide who's going to be in which group. All right, so the group here on the right are going to be my conservatives, okay? Conservatives. And if you feel like you need to get up and move to this side of the room, that's okay. That's all right. So these are going to be the conservatives, and uh, the group over here are going to be the progressives or permissives is another way of saying that, right? So for this group on the right, um, you know, What's important to them is personal morality, right? Personal morality. And so we've all seen this go too far. It's called legalism, right? So there are a lot of people that say, well, God doesn't say, so we need to make a bunch of rules, and we all need to agree on the rules so that we know how we can be righteous, right? And we've all seen that in the church, and that's one of the things we need to confess in the Western church is we tend to look down our nose at other people that believe something different 
again, in the gray areas, not in the black and white, but in the gray areas, we tend to judge people that don't hold to the same beliefs. And conservatives or legalists tend to have a, rules, a set of rules of things that you don't do, right? You're righteous if you don't drink, you don't dance, you don't smoke, you don't cuss. That makes you righteous. But we have to be honest about that. That's really self-righteousness, not righteousness, right? Because you're leaning on uh, your own willpower and your ability to not do things. Does that make sense to you guys? Okay. So uh, these guys say, rules rule, or get off my lawn, right? <laughs> this group tends to be a little older, right? Um, so that, that may be how they, how they look at the world. But uh, do you need to move, Jacob? Okay. All right. All right. If, if you remember in the Bible, there was the Pharisee that was praying at the temple, and he said, Oh, God, I thank you that I am not like that sinner over there, right? I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't cuss. And his, his faith was really a religion, right? It wasn't a true faith. And then you had the other person that was, Oh, God, I'm not worthy. Uh, I'm not worthy. I've done all of these things. And so that's the trap that we can fall into if we're conservative, is that legalism thing, and we want to avoid that. There was an old preacher that once said that there's a place where people don't drink, smoke, dance, attend movies, or play cards. It's called a cemetery. <laughs> All right. So, so for this group, you know, we just need to be sensitive to, you know, we, we need to study the truth. We need to have our convictions in the uh, gray areas. But it's important that we don't take our convictions and project those on other people. Right? So we don't want to be self-righteous. So now I'm going to beat up on you guys. So for this group, uh, you prioritize personal freedom. Right? Anything that's not prohibited in the Bible, I can do. And so uh, the extreme form of this is uh, hedonism. Right? I can make any decision I want, and certainly that, that represents a lot of the cultural voices that are out there. Don't tell me what I can do. Uh, I, I choose my own reality and my own truth. So uh, this, this group obviously skews a little younger. I'm, I'm questioning my decision now when I look at this group, so it's, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Um, they skew a little bit uh, younger, and, and they're, you know, the, the group here is, I don't need no stinking rules, or okay, boomer, you know, you, you don't really get it, right? That's the kind of the mindset that we can have if we're permissive. And the reality is we're all, we're all in one camp or another, depending on what the question is. Right? It's, it's pretty unusual that I'm going to be conservative in everything or permissive in everything. The reality is I can be in one area or the other. So tonight we're going to have Thanksgiving dinner. I'm going to be a bit of a hedonist at the dessert table. Right? That's, that's just, I'm, I'm being honest. So Gene and I went to the uh, men's uh, weekend last weekend, which was fun. We drove up together on I-35. Does anyone know where Gainesville is? At Gainesville? So that's, it's about halfway up to Lake Murray. And I spent a couple of summers there doing some work 30 years ago when I was in college. Yes, I am that old. And uh, it was a, it was a you know, very kind of conservative Southern Baptist town, you know, lots of churches and, and that sort of thing. And as we were driving up, it's the first time I've done this in, in quite a few years. Driving up, we got to that area, and I was just thinking back, remembering you know, that quiet little conservative town. And there were here's a billboard for a distillery, here's a billboard for a winery. And there were probably five or six within a maybe a 10-mile stretch. I was thinking, oh, okay, well, I guess Gainesville has changed over the years. 
Then we get uh, over the uh, border, and then you've got the massive casino over on the right-hand side in Oklahoma. And then if you look on the left-hand side, there's a marijuana dispensary, right? So it was interesting, that little 90-minute trip, there were all of these uh, gray areas on the way up. And I won't tell you how many times Gene and I stopped, okay? So, <laughs> all right. So the, so, so the permissives would say, all of that is totally fine. You're free to do that. Uh, so the caution for this group is don't abuse your privileges in Christ, right? Does that make sense? All right, so we're going to talk about a few key questions in these great areas. So the first one is, uh, what am I free to do? The second one is, how does my freedom affect other people? And the third is, how and why is my freedom to be limited? So what am I free to do? How does my freedom affect other people? And how and why is my freedom to be limited? So there's three headlines that we're going to cover, or three points. You guys can write these down, or you can wait as we get to them. The first one is, the word inspires us to love others. The word inspires us to love others. The second is, our conscience limits our freedom. Our conscience limits our freedom. And the third is, we exercise freedoms in Christian love. We exercise our freedoms in Christian love. And so we're going to go through chapter 8 a little bit differently. And I know that's going to upset some of our conservatives because we're not going to go through verse by verse. But that's okay. You guys will be in good, a good place. So we're really going to first address this question of, is this a black and white issue? Because it's important that the very first question that we need to ask ourselves is, is there a scriptural command to do something or a prohibition to not do something? Right? That absolutely has to be the very first thing. So Paul addresses that. And he does that uh, with, uh, in verse, uh, starting in verse 4 through 6. And what I'm going to do is just hit the punchline quickly. Paul says, hey, this is a gray issue. It's not a black and white issue. What you eat uh, doesn't matter. Um, there's a, a passage, uh, Psalm 115, we've got up here. So this is kind of a mocking uh, thing that the psalmist is doing. He's saying that idols are the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, they cannot hear. They have feet, they cannot walk. They cannot do anything. It's just an object. And so what Paul is saying is the most important thing is, is there a, a command to do this or a prohibition not to do it? And what he's saying is, yes, you're absolutely right. The permissives were the ones that were making this argument. Yes, an idol means nothing. Uh, what you eat, um, ultimately, it does not... Uh, make you better or worse. And if you look at verse 8, you'll see that. Uh, verse 8 in the passage talks about that food doesn't make you more spiritual or less spiritual. So the first thing I want you guys to read here is ultimately this is not a black and white issue. It's a gray issue. Does that make sense? Okay, so now we're going to talk about, so how do you make decisions in the various gray areas that deal with? that we deal with because we don't necessarily struggle with food sacrificed to idols, but there's lots of other questions that we do face. And we want to make sure that those, uh, the convictions that we have and exercising our, our freedom in Christ, that we don't create divisiveness in the body. All right, so we're going to start with uh, the very beginning, which will make the conservatives happy again. So start with verses 1 through 3. And the headline here is, The Word Inspires Us to love others. So you see as you go through this, he's saying, now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. 
but knowledge makes us arrogant, love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. And so Paul is speaking to the permissives that are saying, we know that there's only one true God. We know that ultimately that's what matters is that we worship God. Idols don't matter. And Paul says, yes, you're absolutely right. But he cautions them around this issue of pride. And so um, Paul is, uh, from a very early age, was brought up in a tradition of memorizing the Old Testament. And in many places in Scripture, talks about how important it is to hold up the truth and stand firm in the truth. And uh, you can look at 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and how important it is to Paul that he holds up the truth. And he's, he's done that now for seven chapters. But what Paul is saying is that knowledge is important, but the difference between knowledge and wisdom is how you choose to apply the truth and applying the truth in a way that respects um, God's glory and respects where other people may be coming from is um, most important. So the warning here is pride. And there's a verse, Galatians 6.3, that says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I don't know why we know that in our house, but we've got uh, kids, and we often have to remind our kids that you don't have it all figured out. I learned this week that the word sophomore in Greek is a combination of two words, wise, fool. <laughs> wise, fool. So the idea is that, yeah, you've learned a few things, but boy, there's an awful lot that you haven't figured out yet. So don't get too proud uh, and full of yourself. And um, so when, when the verse talks about um, knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Another translation is knowledge puffs up, makes us feel that we're better than other people. Um, and love uh, builds and edifies other people. So it's, it's great to have a strong conviction and know why that conviction is right. But it's also important that we don't, in a spirit of pride, look down on other people. So uh, I play fantasy football, so I guess gambling is okay for me. I'm just being transparent. Uh, so last year, I was invited into a group of some of my coworkers. Thought, hey, it'd be it'd be a fun opportunity to kind of get to know people. And uh, trust me, it's not really gambling when you have as little skill as I do. It's really just giving to other people money, right? So, um, so it's not really gambling. It's just giving. Uh, in my case, and, and it's quite a small amount of money, and if that upsets you guys, I'm sorry, uh, but I'm free to do that. So, so I do, and here's the reason I'm telling you guys this. In, in, in fantasy football, it's a, it's a combination of skill and luck, right? Skill and luck. So last year, uh, first time I'd ever done it, I'm not a football guy. I don't know anything about football. So um, I went through and did my drafting, and it just so happened that I got the MVP of the whole season, by dumb luck, right? Pat Patrick Mahomes, which is, you know, last year was the best quarterback in the league, and I just stumbled into it, dumb luck. So I got second out of 12 at the end of the season. So I thought, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. So this year, I'm ninth out of 12, right? So it turns out that was mainly luck, no skill, and so it's important for us to keep that balance in mind that just because things have worked out for us doesn't mean that we've got it all figured out. We need to recognize that um, others know things too. And so uh, we want to uh, talk about this. Uh, uh, we talked about knowledge versus wisdom. We want to talk about Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7. 
And this is really the key issue, uh, and this is part of the Shema, and it talks about how parents should teach their children. And it talks about you should teach your children not by talking down to them, but by showing them what um, true wisdom looks like in the everyday. And the piece that I've highlighted here is, he says, the words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart, right? So it's not head knowledge that matters and makes the difference in the life of others when we're teaching them, it is our heart. And I think if you guys reflect back on any of the teachers that you've had that have had a big impact on your life, it is not that they were clever or intelligent or smart that made the difference for you, is that they took the time to get to know you and understand here's where you're coming from and here's how I can best learn. Does that make sense? So it's important to recognize that knowing things, being clever is nice, but being kind and having love for others is more important. So at the very end, verse 3, it says, uh, it says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by him. So what Paul is saying to the uh, people in the church is that what matters ultimately that you are God's and God chose you. And if you think about what made Paul, Paul, it was not Paul. It was God, right? Paul on his own was persecuting the church. God changed Paul's heart and that changed everything for Paul. So if we go to verse 7. Verse 7, it says, However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. And so the headline here is, Our conscience limits our freedoms. Our conscience limits our freedoms. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are new creations in Christ. The new has come, the old has passed away. But the reality is that we're all in different places in our maturity, in our understanding. We all come from different backgrounds. And for some of us, we have a kryptonite that's really a struggle for us. And it may not be the same kryptonite uh, that someone else has, but we can be weak in that area. And so what this um, passage talks about is we're all growing, but we're growing at a different pace. And so it's important that we have grace and love with others as we interact with them. So if you guys remember 1 Corinthians 6, 12, Jerry taught about this, that all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. So in thinking about the gray areas, we have to examine our conscience, and we have to say, uh, I recognize I have the freedom to do this, but is this something that is okay for me? And if your kryptonite is gambling, you probably shouldn't be playing fantasy football, right? That's a conviction that you need to have. And uh, as we go further, uh, we... Uh, get to Romans 14, 23. It says, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. And so um, Paul talks in this passage about believers that are strong and believers that are weak. And we talked about earlier that in the gray areas, there are going to be people that have different convictions, right? And for them, uh, it's important that they first seek the truth, and they understand, is this an area where... I struggle where I am tempted, and if so, I need to build margin in my life so that I don't create temptation uh, by engaging in those places. Secondly, I need to be vulnerable with someone else. Uh, one of the things we talked about at the men's weekend is if, if no one else knows what your temptation, if no one else knows what your kryptonite is, 
you're isolated, and that is a very unhealthy place to be. So one of the responsibilities that we have is if we are weak in some area, and everyone in here is weak in some area, it's important that we are vulnerable with someone else, and we share with them, say, hey, I really struggle with this, ask for their prayer and encouragement, and provide that transparency. That's part of the community of the gospel. You can't separate the gospel from community, and that's one of the most um, powerful things that we have access to as Christians is the opportunity to be encouraged by another believer. So it's important if we are weak that we build margin and that we provide that vulnerability and we look for that accountability. If you have a, a kryptonite today that no one else knows about, I'd encourage you find someone to sit down and talk to about that. Somebody in your life group, men's ministry, women's ministry, uh, discipleship partner, elder, staff member, another believer. Uh, don't be isolated. That, that can take you to a very unhealthy place. Does that make sense? So, the, when I'm in strong in a, in a particular area and my brother is weak, the prescription is not uh, beating them over the head with my convictions. The prescription is love and grace. And just as we talked about that teacher, it may be, it may be that they're weak because they don't understand the full truth, um, but they're unlikely to hear the truth if they don't uh, feel that we care for them. All right. So then we're going to go to our third headline here. We exercise our freedoms in uh, Christian love. We exercise our freedoms in Christian love. And so that's uh, verses 9 through 13. And it starts out, it says, Take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And he goes through uh, giving an example about a believer who may see you uh, eating meat uh, in a temple and may be tempted to follow through uh, and eat meat, even though his conscience is telling him that that's wrong for him. So we talked about a minute ago that something might uh, be totally okay for me if I'm strong in an area, but it might be a sin for a believer whose conscience is unsettled about the matter. So we have uh, in this a responsibility to... Um, Invest in those around us. You can't know what, uh, I can't know what Brad's kryptonite is if I don't sit down and spend time with Brad and vice versa. And so we can't be sensitive to and exercise our Christian liberties in a way that glorifies God unless we take the time and invest in those people around us. And then we can get a sense of whether we are potentially uh, going to be a stumbling block for a brother. So there's a poem that I found. Uh, last night, and I know poems are going to make you guys uncomfortable. That's okay. There are little eyes upon you. They're watching night and day. There are little ears that quickly take in every word you say. There are little hands all eager to do anything you do, and a little boy who's dreaming of the day he'll be like you. So we, we instinctively know with our children that it's important that we limit our freedoms around our children, right? We don't watch R-rated movies with our five-year-old. Well, some people do, but they should not do that. That's really wrong, okay? But we instinctively do that around our children. And why do we do that? Because we know that they're not in a place to handle that kind of uh, content. And in the same way, we have a responsibility when we're the strong person and we're around somebody that's weak in a particular area, 
to apply that same kind of love to put them first rather than our own preferences. Does that make sense? Just say yes. Okay. All right. Very good. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about a stumbling block because I think this is a, a stumbling block is a phrase that um, I've misused and it's a phrase that I think uh, I've just seen over the years a lot of people um, use as a stick and so that's not the intent and so Leviticus 19.4 is the original uh, use of a, of a stumbling block and it's the idea that um, I put something, an obstacle, in the way of a blind person. So I think we can all agree that's a very uh, ugly thing to do. And I want to give you kind of two examples. So let's, let's pick on uh, Brad again, because he was so kind to read this morning. And so I'm going to tell you what a stumbling block is and what a stumbling block isn't, OK? So uh, Brad and I you know, are out there, and I reach out to Brad, knowing that Brad has a gambling problem. And I say, Brad, let's uh, get in a fantasy football league, or let's go up to the casino. Okay? I'm creating a stumbling block for my brother. I'm strong in this area. It's not wrong for me. But Brad's conscience and his uh, kryptonite, his issues, are going to make this a real problem for Brad. Right? Does that make sense? Brad is, Brad is weak. I'm strong. I know it's it's impossible to imagine, but um, we'll, we'll just use that for the sake of argument. We'll talk later. And so in that example, I'm being a stumbling block for Brad because I'm putting my personal preferences over the reality that that's a kryptonite issue for Brad. That's an issue that he struggles with. So that's a stumbling block. Does that make sense? All right, here's what's not a stumbling block, okay? So John over here is, uh, has a very strong opinion being permissive, that it's t completely okay to drink, okay? And John doesn't have a drinking problem, okay? And I'm over here, and uh, I don't have a drinking problem either, but for me, it's not okay to drink. So I'm strong in this area. John is strong in this area. John and I disagree about what's right for, for us. Uh, I should have no problem drinking in front of John. Why? Euler, the American, the American, because John is strong, right? So a lot, of, a lot of times what we do, and it's particularly our friends over here in the conservative legalistic category, is we tend to say that I've decided that drinking is wrong, and I've decided drinking is wrong for everyone else, whether they have a, an issue with it or not personally, whether that's their kryptonite or not, no one should drink. And what's happening there is I have a conviction, and I'm making sure that everyone else should follow my convictions, even though for them, it's not sin. Does that make sense? Right. So, so stumbling block is strong believer, weak believer. I exercise my privileges with no care for the weak believer. That's not the same as John and I, strong believers. We just happen to disagree. And it's not OK for me to beat him up because he believes one thing or the other. Does that make sense? All right. So I may never teach again once the elders meet. That's OK. All right. So um, Paul says in the end, verse 13, he says, uh, let me just read the, the passage. He says, therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to stumble. So 
So Paul's um, feedback to the permissive group is, yeah, you're right. It doesn't matter whether you eat or you don't eat. That doesn't commend you to God. That doesn't make you more holy. But you must first put the uh, people around you who are going to be impacted by that decision and consider whether it's really the right thing. And Paul takes a very strong line and says, if, if there's anyone around me that has uh, their kryptonite is eating meat offered to idols, I'm simply not going to eat meat. And so I, I think this goes back to 2 uh, Corinthians uh, 3.17, which talks about the lordship of Christ comes first, then the needs of others come second, and then I'm come third, right? We as, uh, if you're a parent, you know all about this. There are things that I do because it's the right thing for my family. It's not necessarily always the thing that I want to do, but it's the thing that is the best for my family, and that's the spirit in which Paul is uh, speaking to the permissive group. So I am uh, finishing up. You'll be happy to know. Uh, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of uh, advice. So we've got a slide here for uh, the group here over on my right, on your left. Maybe we do, Patrick. There you go. So I'm going to upset you guys and read from the message translation. It turns out that that's a, that's a gray area, not a black and white area. Uh, it, it is okay. And uh, there you go. All right. Very, very good. So um, again, for you guys, you know, the, the, you know, the caution is don't judge your brothers. Um, and, and I highlighted a couple areas here. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. Don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Right? Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Uh, treat them gently. So when you have a bent to say, get off my lawn, or these millennials, they don't get it, we want to have this spirit of love. Does that make sense? All right. Now to pick on the progressives, the permissives over here. It's absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. So Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that we are set free. <clears throat> and we shouldn't return to slavery. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything that we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. So um, how many of you guys have been through membership class? All right, many have been through membership class. So part of what makes us a member is we talk about our beliefs. And in week three, we talk about our beliefs, and we say that um, in the essentials, we have what? Unity. In the non-essentials, we have freedom. And in all things, we have love. So we were singing the song earlier, Jesus is the way, the truth, or the life. We hold on to that very, very tightly because that's what makes us Christian, right? Those things are the truths that make us Christians that we've been saved by grace, not by works. Um, in the non-essentials, we have freedom with the caveat that we want to be sensitive to where our brothers and sisters are coming from. And in all things, we want to have love. And one of the things that I need to be continually reminded of when I um, am on a different side of the 
fence with one of my brothers on this is the freedom that I have was a gift. I didn't earn my freedom. Jesus had everything. And he chose to set all of that aside to come down to earth to submit to a bunch of legalists and a bunch of permissives who completely missed his message. But he did that out of love for us. And in, in the same way, uh, we need to be sensitive to our brothers and exercise our privileges uh, in grace and love. So we're going to uh, move into communion.